0: Y'all will probably be happy to know that I'm a little bit zapped of energy after my trip this week, so (laughs) this may be one of the shorter sermons that you you hear me do. Um, But I want to um, continue a little bit through Romans 12, and I want to focus just on on three verses, three verses that happen to be out of order, um, particularly Romans 12.3, Romans 12.10, and Romans 12.16. Now, y'all don't think, just because I'm skipping around with some verses... That I'm trying to uh, um, not talk about certain scriptures, um, or to avoid anything. But the fact of the matter is, these three scriptures, even though I'm coming to you, coming with them out of order, they focus on a common theme. They focus on a common topic, and I think you'll see exactly what I'm talking about as soon as we read these. Because you can go ahead and throw those up, please, Alex. Thank you. <coughs> So Romans 3 reads this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. That's Romans 12:3. Romans 12:10 reads, Be devoted to one, one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then lastly, Romans 12, verse 16, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's the word of God for the people of God. (laughs) Certainly we can see that there's a common theme in all three of those scriptures. Certainly humility is one of them. Humility, humility, humility. Also how we view other people. I would add that. how we value other people, how we value ourselves even, humility, how we value other people. Of course, the source of that is something that we talk about all the time. The source of that is is basically just Christian love, love for God and love for neighbor. It's primary when we exercise genuine and authentic Christian humility. These verses point us towards that they point us towards a devoted love for God and a devoted love especially for other people to the point where we're honoring other people and valuing other people even above ourselves look back look back let's look back at one and two real quick Romans, uh, Romans 12 one and two talks about being not conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12.1 talks about living sacrificial lives. I want you all to get this. Uh, the reason I keep repeating verse 12.1 and 12.2 these last few weeks is because I've told you, these really serve as the foundation for much of what is said in Romans chapter 12. The majority of Romans chapter 12. They serve as the base. Living sacrificial lives and not being conformed to the patterns of the world. Okay, what are the patterns of the world in regards to what we just read here? I can guarantee you the patterns of the world ain't humility. And I guarantee you it ain't valuing other people ahead of ourselves. We live in a world where we look out for number one, we idolize aggression, we idolize arrogance, We idolize rugged individuality. Me. We idolize ourselves. That's the patterns of the world that Paul warns us not to conform to. And in these verses, he's talking about, again, valuing other people and exercising the Christian value, the Christian virtue of authentic humility. How do we value ourselves? How do we value other people? particularly in our culture. This is honest time. We value one another by our social status, by our bank accounts, by our social organizations or our social groups, by the things that we own. Economic and again our social status. That's how we find our worth in our society. As a result, that's how we define and value the worth of other people. Am I right about that? Y'all tell me. Okay. I don't want to get I don't want to get off courts here. I don't want to tell y'all something that's wrong. I'd say I'm about 90 percent right on that, Daryl. As Christians, this should not be. Unfortunately, as Christians, that world, those patterns of the world, seep into the church. And we wind up looking not a whole lot different from the rest of the world in the way that we value ourselves, in the way that we value other people, in the way that we exercise this humility that Christ talks about, by the way, but also that Paul is talking about here in these verses. Where does our value come from? As a Christian, here's, here's the opposite. Here's, here's, here's the way it should be. As Christians, our value comes from the fact that we are grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. Period. That's where our value comes from. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from my ego. It doesn't come from any, anything, anything remotely close to me. It's all about Christ. It's all about our faith in Jesus Christ. It's about your faith in Jesus Christ. Where do I place my value in you guys? Simply because you are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how much money you got in your bank account. I don't care who you hang out with. I don't care if you're black, white, Latino, Asian, whatever. I don't care if you come from the right side of the tracks, the wrong side of the tracks. You're brother, sister, in Christ. I can't begin to tell you how many examples Christ gives us when it comes to these ideas and these ideals, that we are one church, one church made of many nations, many different people. That's where your value comes from. That's where my value comes from. Solely in Christ, we are all on equal footing. We find value in non-Christians, by the way, simply because they are people created in the image of God. In his Christian history, Christian tradition, we call that, there's a Latin word for that. It's called the imago Dei, image of God. You hear that a a lot in the Catholic church. It's one that we should all embrace, to tell you the truth. And it comes from Genesis. We know that we are all created to some degree in the image of God, not through our physical appearance necessarily, but God all endowed us with certain things that separate us Even from the angels, they certainly separate us from the animal world. The ability to think, the ability to reason, the ability to love, these are all attributes of God. So we are all created to some degree in that image. So when it comes to non-Christians, certainly we honor them, we love them, we value them based on that and that alone. Remember, we're not called to dislike or hate anybody. talked about that last week, the week before, I believe it was. It's bigger than just genuine humility, valuing other people, is bigger than just, you know, putting on a smile. It's bigger than just saying a kind word, even though these things are important. It's different than acting nice. It's different than just, you know, maybe not hurting people's feelings. Those are all good manners. Those are all wonderful things, and those are all certainly things that we should embrace, but we're called to go beyond that. We've, the Christian church has done a wonderful job at making a lot of nice people. We've not done been so hot at making Christians. Let's just be honest about that as well. It's pretty easy to be polite in most circumstances. It's pretty easy to be nice in most circumstances to a degree. But that's just good manners. Good manners are good, and we should certainly embrace those. But we're called to go beyond that. We're called to value Everybody created in the image of God, the meekest of the meek, the the lowliest of the lowly, as one of our scriptures said here. We can fake niceness to a certain degree, but God calls us to authentic, real love, real humility for our brothers and sisters, real humility, real authentic love for people who are outside the church. The genuine love on the inside, not just on the outside, not just to fake it. God didn't call us to fake it. God didn't call us to fake it. He calls me fakers. He called us to authentic heart change that reflects the humility of Christ that comes out in the way that we love and the way that we value other people, regardless of who they are, regardless of their status. We didn't read verse 9 in Romans 12 today, but I'm going to read it to you real quick. Paul writes this, he says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. If you happen to have a New Living uh, Translation, an NLT, what you're going to read in that one is that Paul says, Don't just pretend to love people, really love them. It's so common for us to be fakers. And I'm not saying that we just go out and start intentionally being mean to folks, that we... You know, when we feel like being mean. I'm calling us not to be fakers and pretenders. Christ calls us not to be fakers and pretenders. Again, through that authentic heart change that he offers. That he can give. You know, our outward actions should truly be indicative of what's really on the inside of us. That's why Jesus always criticized these religious leaders, by the way. Y'all remember all that? Y'all remember all the criticisms Christ constantly had in the Gospels for all these religious leaders? It's not because he necessarily disagreed with the things that they believed in. It was because their insides didn't match their outsides. And Jesus knew their hearts. They might have been doing all the right things, but inside they were wretched. That's not Christ. And that's not God. That's the difference. They knew the spirit, they knew the letter of the law, but they had not embraced the spirit of the law, which as we know, is love. That's why we've talked about for weeks, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the spirit of the law. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. In the world of Christ, in the world of the kingdom of God, the world of Jesus, humility and sacrifice, Rule. Again, we don't honor, we honor other people above ourselves for no other reason than the fact that they are brothers and sisters, and or because they were created in the image of God. Every life matters for no other reason than we are all created in the image of God, and that is our starting point. That is where we value people. That is where true humility comes comes from. I'm not any better than you are, not any less than you are necessarily either but we're all on equal footing. I noticed in one of our scr- one of our um, slides earlier that uh, we had put up there a quote from C.S. Lewis that says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Actually, C.S. Lewis did not write that. <laughs> That's attributed to C.S. Lewis a lot of times for some reason because C.S. Lewis... Has written on humility. Uh, Rick Warren actually wrote this in 2002 in a book that I've talked to you guys about already, Purpose Driven Life. <coughs> Unfortunately, the internet gets it wrong a lot of times, but it, nonetheless, this is a very true statement. I'm not asking us to think. I'm not asking you. I'm not asking me. God certainly isn't asking us to think of ourselves. Think less of ourselves. It's about thinking of ourselves a little bit less. It's about reorienting our values, how we value people, reorienting the importance of people in our lives, exercising that humility that Christ embodies. It is essential. One of the biggest problems that Christians have, that non-Christians have with Christians, in all honesty, is our lack of humility a lot of times. But it's essential. Humility is essential our Christian witness absolutely essential Jesus is our standard bearer for that let's think about Jesus for a minute let's think about these these ideas of, of humility and you know how Christ valued or values humanity let's just start from the beginning You know, I talked a little bit of theology with you last week or week before when I talked about the the triune God. You know, we believe in what's called the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God. How we work all that stuff out, they've been trying to define that for 2,000 years, so we're certainly not going to do it today. It's just one of the mysteries of the church. But when Christ came to earth, you know, He's the son of God, but we also believe he is he's God. He's God on earth. He's a man, certainly, but he was fully human, and he was fully God. All of us have been in church for a long time, but let's, let's throw that one around in our head for a little bit. God came to earth. <laughs> Wrap that around your heads for a while, y'all. This is Christianity 101, I realize that, but
1: wrap your head around the
0: fact that God, the creator of all, came to earth. How did God choose to come to earth? Baby God. You know, he could have come in any form that he wanted to. He's God, for goodness sakes. He could have come in any form. He could have come as that great political leader that the Hebrew people wanted. He could have come as that great warrior that they wanted, great military leader that they were hoping for that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He didn't do that. Number one, he came as a helpless, vulnerable child. Heaven, he didn't even choose a royal family to be born into, or a family with a lot of money, and a family with a lot of social status. He chose a poor carpenter, a poor carpenter, and a virgin at that. You think they didn't get a little pushback? You think those folks didn't get a little? It <laughs> chose a poor family to be born into the creator of God. Daryl, can you come on up for a second? And that's the life that he lived for 30 years. I said, well, it's the life he lived till his death, really. <clears throat> but that's the life that our creator chose to live. He was the son of a carpenter, for goodness sakes, a lowly son, in a lowly family, a meek family. I think that's humility. I think that's a great sign of humility. The Creator (laughs) chose to do that, chose to be that. Do we really think, you know, he started his his ministry when he was about 30. Died when he was about 33. We think he couldn't get out, I've said this before, but do we think that he couldn't have gotten out of that? (laughs) If he didn't want to? He died a horrible death, but he died a a criminal's death in all humility. He surrendered himself to humanity. Catch that. He surrendered himself to humanity. could have gotten out of it any time. He even prayed. Here's the human side of it. Here's the human side of Jesus. If y'all remember right, he even prayed, God this pass if it's your will. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the will of God. And he surrendered. That's humility. That's valuing people above yourself. That Christ valued, that God valued sinners. People stuck in sin. So much. Even people he knew wouldn't come to him. People who were going to reject him do not mean he didn't love them. Same goes for today. We know people who will never come to God. It doesn't mean we don't love them. But that was his witness. That was his witness of how much he valued. And he was so humble to the point of being killed, willingly, by the way, on a cross. That's humility. That is humility. He even gave the disciples wonderful example of this we talk about communion all the time and <coughs> we celebrate communion generally at least once a week here or once a, once a month but Christ did a lot of things, he did several things <coughs> up in that upper room the night before he died We know that they broke bread together the night before Christ died, him and the disciples. We know that Christ instituted the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper sometimes. Sometimes we call it the Eucharist. Sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. But then he did something completely unexpected, something crazy, something that showed awesome sense of humility. An awesome sense of the way that he valued not just his disciples but people, humanity in general. You know during the time of Christ and for centuries prior to Christ the area around Jerusalem and Israel as we all know is a dusty sandy area, desert. Well, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, there was not closed toe shoes. <laughs> there weren't cars, obviously. There weren't. The primary mode of travel was walking. So needless to say, you had a lot of people with some really nasty and dirty feet walking around that territory. So it was a common practice when a person who had been traveling would come into your house. Most of the time it would be a servant or it would be some kind of slave would wash the feet of the visitor. And they would get all that nastiness off of their feet, clean them up. feet clean, free of all that dust, dirt, miles and miles of accumulation. So in that upper room on the night before Christ was killed, call it what it was, before he was murdered, Jesus took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he started washing the feet of his disciples. One by one. Peter had a little bit of an argument against it, but in the end, he, he caved in too. This is God in human form. This is God on earth. Fully God, fully human, washing the nasty... Thank you, Daryl, Dirty, travel-weary feet these disciples doing the work of a slave Christ certainly humbled himself in his passion on the cross he also humbled himself (laughs) in a very physical way with his disciples right before he was taken away in that way you want to talk about humility that's humility that's humility in action that's valuing other people above yourself. And I'm going to point out one more thing. There were 12 disciples in that room that night. Guess who one of those disciples was? Judas. Christ knew what was coming. He knew Judas was going to betray him, and he washed his feet. And he loved him anyway. This is our call too, church. It's to abandon these worldly ways is to abandon these, to not be conformed to the ways of the world that tell me I'm first, that scream of rugged individuality, that embrace the ideas of hostility, aggression, arrogance, me above everybody else, ego, those types of things. I'm called the humble service humble service, placing one another above ourselves. So the question really is this. I mean, is it's is not only first of all, is this something that we want to do? Is it something that we want to do? Because this is one of those hard teachings too. It's easy to talk about it's easy to, to point fingers and talk about you know don't do drugs, don't, don't drink alcohol, don't go, don't go killing anybody don't go robbing anybody it's a whole different ballgame game. we start talking about exercising true, genuine humility. Again, this is one of those hard-to-swallow teachings. And we ask ourselves, is it something that we truly, truly want to do? Can we give up our pride? Can we give up our prejudices? Can we give up our resentments? Can we give up our bitterness? And can we love people as God, as Jesus calls us to love? Because honestly, that's what holiness is. Y'all know Wesley and... Methodist history. We are a holiness tradition. We talked about this several weeks ago in our Wednesday night meeting. Holiness is not what a lot of us think holiness is. I think particularly in our area in South Georgia, we hear that word holiness, and we think about a particular tradition or a particular sect of Christianity that that separates itself through the way that they dress, through the way that they do certain things or don't do certain things, and we tend to put an outward value or description on the word holiness. Holiness, that's not what holiness is. Holiness is a condition of the heart. Holiness is purity of the heart. Holiness is purity of intention. Holiness, as far as the Bible is concerned, as far as Scripture is concerned, is basically just another word for love. It's basically just another word for loving God and loving neighbors, and that's not anything to do with our outward appearance. It may manifest itself outwardly in some ways, and it certainly will, but holiness is just the condition of our heart. And we are a holiness tradition in that manner that calls us away, that pulls us away from these human desires, these human actions these human attitudes of bitterness, resentment hostility, crazy rugged individuality, big egos those types of things, holiness pulls us in the other direction towards humility towards valuing other people the way that Christ values us And I believe that we can do that, folks. I I have said this before throughout this series of talks on, on Romans 12. This stuff doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to us. We're a fallen people, still, to a degree. But it's the same thing I was talking about earlier when I gave that altar call, man. The presence of God allows us to be these things, to become these things. He wants us to become these things. He wants us to become humility. The only thing that stops us is us. We've got the power of God residing in us. I told you that last week. The power of God, every person in this room, to the best of my knowledge, is a Christian. If so, the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, literally resides inside of us. He wants us to become this. You think God doesn't, Will not give us the authority, the power to become something He wants us to be. Come on, that's a ridiculous argument. He wants us to be humility. He wants us to be people who are truly and authentically value, who authentically and truly value others over themselves. We are the ones who are stopping that from happening. We have choice. Our tradition believes we have choice, but we got the power to be that all day long. It's just a matter of submitting to it. It's just a matter of submitting. I don't want to be a sinner my entire life. I don't want to have a lot of sin in my heart my entire life. And I don't really like that argument a lot of times. A lot of times we use that argument well we're always going to be sinners and we may very well be. I don't like using that argument anymore because that gives me an excuse. That excuses me. That gives me a way out. I don't want a way out anymore. I want to become all that Christ wants me to be. I want to be saved. I want to be continuing to be saved. For the glory of God, for the good of you guys, for the good of myself, of course, but for the good of y'all, for the good of every life that I touch. Christ Almighty, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, God, for your example. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that that does well inside of us. God, my prayer for myself is that that I will... Embrace what I preach. That I'll be able to submit to your strength, your power, and to your authority. That I'll be able to submit to your calling. That I might be an example for the kingdom of God, an example for this church. For my church, for our church, I would pray the same thing. I would give you hope that you, I would hope and I would pray that you would give us all attitudes of humble submission. A lot of times we know what you want us to become. We just want to do it. We just don't want to be that. Some of this stuff is really easy. Some of it is very, very difficult for us, and we just don't want to give it up. I would pray. I would pray for Beavis United Methodist that you would give us hearts that seek to be obedient and submissive in all that you want, all that reveals the kingdom of God, all that subverts the ways of this world, so that your kingdom can be known on earth. Your kingdom can be viewed on earth. All this I pray in the precious names of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.